Hey guys, and welcome into episode 29 of the Landscape Photography Show. I just wanted to say before we really get into the meat and bones of this episode, how grateful I am of all of you who listen, who constantly send me DMs on Instagram or messages on Facebook about how much you're enjoying the show, whether you are out running, working out, whether you're driving to work in your car, anything like that. You know, the community of landscape photographers is so incredible because we're such a tight knit community of these weird, like introvert people who love being out in the woods by themselves. But when it comes down to it, we love talking about the same things with each other. So it's been amazing to really form a communal bond around this type of show and and this type of of audience. So I just want to thank you guys all for listening. I want to say we have a really special guest on the podcast today. I know I say that every single week that we come on because it's actually true, but this week is really important because I think that if you are interested in creating unique images, but also selling photography, selling your prints, you might want to get a pen and paper and start jotting down some notes because on the podcast today, we have Ryan Smith with us. And Ryan is just not only an amazing photographer, but amazing person to talking about communal events. Like he hosts workshops, he hosts these big conferences for landscape photography. And I think Ryan is just a guy who enjoys landscape photography and ultimately enjoys bringing people together over photographs. So without further ado, let's get to today's episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into the podcast. On today's podcast, I'm excited to get to somebody who we were just talking before we started recording Ryan Smith is somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a long time now and somebody's who wor- somebody's work that I really admire and look up to. Uh, Ryan, the first question that we have, I actually just got done recording with Gavin Hardcastle. He wanted me to say, don't give too much away with this, but he says that you made a debut in one of his F4 videos and said, it was like the funniest thing he's ever watched. Like, what was that experience like for you? Oh, man, hysterical. I'm so excited for it to come out. And I, unfortunately, we all have to wait. And you have to watch everything between now and when it comes out. So make sure to go to his YouTube channel as well as Nick Page and uh, Adam and Thomas. What a fun bunch of guys to hang out with. So I don't know if I can say anymore. Is it like, was it just for him to tease? I feel like he was just putting that out there, like a subtle uh, tilt to his YouTube channel. (laughs) Well, of course. I mean, he's a master, uh, master marketer, photographer, and, you know, uh, a YouTuber. So that's a good possibility. But I have to say it was one of the, I have not laughed so hard in years. (laughs) I'll just, I'll just say that. (laughs) <laughs> what was it like? What was it like for you? Because you seem like a pretty chill, laid back, stoic kind of guy. Was it was it 
fun to get into that role and and play like a character in one of his videos? Well, it was, you know, we had a good time. I've been in a few of his videos just because naturally we've been buddies since he kind of had this concept of his YouTube channel. And and I've already, uh, you know, behind the scenes kind of pitched ideas back and forth with him. And it's fun to see it evolve. It all started two years ago when we were down at a conference in Moab with out of Chicago and out of Moab. And, you know, I, I just remember him sitting in a room. We were just, you know, really between all the photographers, we were all friends, but Gavin and I just really hit it off that day. Spent a lot of time together throughout that weekend. And he just said, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I'm going to dedicate myself to put out a video every single week. I don't know what they're going to be on. And, you know, we had talked about various things, including the stalker and, and other ideas. And just to see it evolve and, and to be included in some of the fun is pretty cool. So I am laid back, but I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's easy for me to just, you know, goof around and, and, and have a lot of fun. I might seem serious under some circumstances, but, you know, naturally, I just I like to have a good time. One of the things that I like to do with with people that I've never had on before that I'm just getting to know is hear about their backstory. So kind of fill everybody in on how you got started in photography and your journey to this point. Well, the first time I picked up a camera was a disposable camera as a kid. And I took a, a few photographs up in Yellowstone, probably had to have been eight or nine years old and put it in a reflections contest. I don't know if the term is applicable outside of Utah, but I won an award for my photo and that was kind of cool. Fast forward to junior high, I didn't do anything until I got into a photography class. We would develop photos and go out and shoot photos, but it was nothing really out of the ordinary for me. And I didn't really even care about, you know, the, the depth of photography like I do today. Fast forward until I was maybe 23, 24, married, taking pictures of my kids. I still didn't at that time know how to work a, a true uh, a camera at the time. And, you know, and it was just simply journalistic and taking pictures of the kids as they grow up. And, and at that time, I still didn't have a passion for photography like I do now. Fast forward until I got remarried um, with my current wife and she had a camera and we were taking our engagement pictures. And that was my first experience with a DSLR. Talk about intimidating and frustrating. We were out at the beach. She looked gorgeous. I'm trying to take pictures, you know, and I'm thinking this should be a great, nice camera, which should equate to an easy camera. And it was not. It was like so frustrating. But we got a few pictures. Somehow I found it to auto mode. And, you know, and that almost turned me off from wanting to take any photos. Fast forward probably until about six years ago. That's really when things started to kind of change. I'm in medical sales full-time. That's my full-time job. I was up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming with a night to burn. I go up into the Tetons and think, man, I have just really got to learn how to use this camera. So I took my wife's camera, shot some photos, mostly iPhone photos because I still didn't know how to work her camera. And I remember waking up early the next morning saying, you know, well, at least I know that good light is important. Morning light's important. And I showed up to the Molten Barns and there was loads of people there with their tripods. And I kind of laughed thinking, 
geez, don't these guys know that you don't need all that equipment these days? Like these iPhones are pretty amazing and take amazing <laughs> photos. I'm thinking, what are they doing? Like, oh, just old school photographers, right? Well, I went to print the photograph for my dad on canvas off of my iPhone from that particular trip. It turned out pretty decent. I was happy with it. But that's when I truly saw, okay, if I want to print photos, I've got to increase the, you know, the capabilities of my work with decent equipment. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to learn on my wife's camera. At the time, it was a Canon T2i, awesome camera. And, uh, you know, now what, 12 or 14 cameras later over the course of six years, I'm, I'm fully addicted and can't get enough. That's funny, man. That's the camera that I actually started learning on too about the same time frame ago. Hey, there you go. That's a good little camera. Something's in the water. Well, like when you started experiencing that and getting out in the field, was it the print making that kind of clicked with you that you were like, well, you know, maybe this is something that I would really like to get more into or was it more of the infield creative work? Well, of course, like growing up in the outdoors and being so, you know, accustomed to going outdoors and just loving everything outdoors, it, it, that's what it was about. And then it became, I hate to write. You don't see many journal articles for me submitted. And that's just because I'm not a writer, but I, I, I do fairly well at it when I do write, but I'm just lazy and want a you know, simple way of, of documenting the journeys. Specific to photography, when I created that first print for my dad uh, out of the canvas, I don't know, something like you said, just clicked and it became, I really want to print. If you rewind, when I was 14 years old, I walked into a Mangelson gallery up in Jackson Hole. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. I always grew up with, with posters on my wall and pictures were important to me, but I always wanted a Mangelson print and he was kind of like a hero to me, even though it wasn't really about the photography at the time. It was just amazing images of nature. So, you know, when I went up to the Tetons and started kind of looking that, you know, looking at the, uh, the content of Mangelson's gallery, I thought it would be awesome just to have a big, massive print above my couch let me learn photography. Let me get there because I couldn't afford the Mangelson images for my wall at the time. And so printing became probably the aspect that drew, you know, my hobby to, to, you know, focus on print specifically. So I would say that was kind of my entry way in. So, you know, fast forward a little bit, I had a gallery up in Jackson hole that I walked into one day and I was looking at the prints and, and or the paintings and they didn't have any photography. And I said, Oh, you guys don't have any photography in here there. And they said kind of in a, in nice, but you know, uh, I, I won't use the word snooty cause they weren't snooty about it, but they were very particular that, Oh no, we are, we are an art gallery, not photography and photography is taboo in an art gallery. Uh -huh. And I said, Oh, okay, well that's not a problem. And they're like, Oh, are you a photographer? I said, yeah. So I started showing them some of my images and they said, that's a photograph that looks like a painting. Mm -hmm. And it was my first image that really started to draw their attention. And a year later, you know, they were seeing that the market for art was changing and that a lot of people wanted photography. 
So they invited me in. I took a print, put it up on the wall and became one of their, one of their best sellers within a couple of months in the gallery. So then, you know, people would go into the gallery, see the prints, and then they're calling me weekly. Hey, we're getting a request from people for you to take them out on photography workshops. And I had attended a photography workshop before with my good friend, Jerry Patterson. And I didn't even think like, well, who am I? I'm brand new to this. How could I run a workshop? So, you know, I kind of did one or two clients at a time. And then it just grew from there. And that's how my workshop business evolved from print sales. So it's kind of, you know, kind of a multifaceted thing now, just all kind of happened at once, if that makes sense. Okay. When do you sleep? Because you're doing these <laughs> workshops. I mean, I'm, I'm doing my research before we jump on the call and, you know, you do medical sales, you do workshops, you have... Uh, like the icon workshops you have. Um, what else do you do? I mean, you have like <laughs> 50 things that you're doing right now. So yeah, you know, sleep is, is uh, kind of a, an afterthought, but you got to have it in there sometime. But I, I love the fact that diversity and a variety of things that I do actually helps me be happy in life. Number one, number two, it just, allows the creative brain and the logic brain to, to kind of have its, have its own space. So what I do within the medical field and medical sales is so different. There's not a lot of aspects that, that I can use my creative brain in. Um, and so kind of the diversity really allows me to have a well-balanced life. And, you know, there's so many differences between the two industries that it's, it makes it fun to do both and, and not get burnt out. If you're doing the same thing to the extent that I'm doing two or three things, then I could see myself, you know, really burning out. But, you know, the variety is, is definitely nice. Um, something that I've also resurfaced that I was doing three or four years ago was conferences. So about four years ago, or maybe it was three years ago, we had done a local conference here in Utah and it was called Total Exposure. And that was with me and two other people we kind of organized a conference to show, uh, you know, uh, Rob Doherty, he's a wildlife photographer. I'm kind mm -hmm. of known as a landscape photographer. And then we had a studio photographer in that mix as well. So our focus was to deliver a conference that was focused on wildlife, landscapes, and studio. And it was a big hit. But later that year, I got called to Chicago to work downtown for a couple of years, putting on sales training and, and large events for my biopharmaceutical job. And so that's the reason why conferences kind of took a pause for a while. But now that I'm back home and not working downtown Chicago, me and three other buddies, Phil Monson, David Swindler, and Dustin Lefevre have organized a group called The Outsiders. And the Outsiders is a conference brand, but it's bigger in, in, in many ways than just a conference organization. But uh, we're really focused on connecting the community, capturing photos, and a huge emphasis in conservation topics. So that's kind of a, another offshoot of, of the photography uh, revolution in my own life that's, uh, that's been a lot of fun. What do you get out of a conference that you don't out of a workshop? 
Good question. So a conference is a little bit different. There's more networking time with other photographers that really isn't possible in in-field workshops. So conferences really allow people to connect and network together. When you're out in the field, you don't have that same opportunity. And also in the field, instruction is very different than instruction live through a conference. You're, you're learning two things. So it's not an instead of, it's kind of a complementary mix that you can get a conference and a workshop. So our conferences, you know, are, are very different than, than, than workshops for, for many things, but it's not an instead of, it's just kind of a, a complementary uh, approach to it. Cause our outsiders conference, the nice thing is, is we have post-conference workshops that take place after the conference. And, you know, I, I know that there's, um, you know, some people will just go to the conference and not the post-conference workshops and vice versa. Some people will just come into town to take the workshops and not attend the conference. So it kind of allows, regardless of what people's personality style is and what they like, we're, we're trying to complement and offer both uh, the best of both worlds. All right, let's, you do so many things. Let me try to split this up into three separate sections here for, for the podcast sake. When you're going out, let's, let's take your photography first, like your creative style and things like that. When, when you're going out in the field, is there like a quintessential kind of shot or quintessential something that you're looking for? So for me, when I'm in, is this regarding just like me when I'm shooting for myself or when yeah, I'm you're, you're hitting the out. trails, you're alone, you're going out to shoot. So for me, you know, two things I've, I've naturally, you know, the, the name behind my workshop organization icons, you know, is really geared around to the fact that all of us as photographers, generally speaking, you know, have an icon that kind of intrigued us to get into photography, or we all gravitate to those iconic images that, that are recognizable. Then we slowly evolve as photographers and start to kind of craft our own vision of what we think is, is great in our own photography. So for me, there's always kind of an iconic image that has caught my attention. That's going to take me to that location. And once I'm there, then I open my mind to see things how I see them and what I want to capture. Because I'm focused on print sales, something that I learned a long time ago is 80 to 90% of the market will purchase and wants to purchase the, the icon, so to speak, because it's somewhat that somewhere that they've related to or been to or would like to go to. And about 10 to 20% of the market really want something unique and unseen from anybody else. And so I find myself always conflicted on, okay, do I develop my own images that are unseen or do I take the iconic images and make them my own? So when I go to a location, it's, it's always kind of a push pull because I know exactly the images that are going to be marketable, but also I want to express my own individual personal vision in my photography as well. And so it's, 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 you know, always kind of, you know, gray area, which is the priority, right? So, um, 
hope hope that answers that question. <laughs> it kind of evolves once I get there. But again, I always typically pick my locations based on something that I've seen. And I think it's probably the standard, you know, for for other people too. We we typically wouldn't be drawn to a location without first having seen imagery of, of particular locations from other photographers. Is it becoming more difficult to create those unique shots from those icons? Not at all. I think for me, um, I think as my photography has evolved um, and when I'm in the area, I just see things differently. Like the last couple of years, for example, out in out in Colorado last year, we're, we're driving up Dallas Divide Road. And I just look back and even though we were going up to the overlook that everybody shoots, my, my eyes have changed and evolved to look for the unique along the way. And recently I, pr I uh, printed a, a large panoramic Aspen shot that is doing really well from a print sales standpoint. And that's very unique, very different than what um, a lot of people have in their portfolio. And, you know, so I, I think for me personally, I think along the way, I'm taking more unique shots than I have before. And it's, it's getting easier for me as a photographer. But um, I know for other people, you know, they only shoot icons. And, you know, part of part of their progress as a photographer will naturally evolve like it has for all of us to take both, you know, the iconic images as well as the unique and, and creative images. Yeah. I want I'm curious when you're doing your research on going out to these places and I, I throw this out because this is something that I constantly struggle with is when you go to a new location, obviously you do your research. Mine has become way less intensive because I started finding myself pigeonholed into a certain composition that I had in my mind from the research. Have you felt that way? Have you seen that in your own photography? Oh, ab absolutely. It, it, for me, you know, it gets easier and easier just because you get comfortable or, or you've been to a location multiple times. Um, you know, back in the day when I first started, you know, looking at different compositions and then trying to make it completely different was, was the goal. But sometimes compositions are just that, you know, you, any photographer shows up to, to Mesa Arch and it's kind of a, a no brainer way to shoot it. Um, but then, you know, as you're there, just looking around and making it a goal to shoot it differently really can expand the vision. And so I, I challenge, you know, my, my photography friends all the time, as well as my workshop attendees, like put the phone away. I know you want to get that shot that you came here to get it and, and get it. But once you've got it, instead of, you know, taking the same shot for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, roll around, like change compositions, look behind you, look to the side of you, zoom in, you know, like just, I know it's Mesa Arch and we're all familiar and that's why I'm using this as an, as an example, but some of the best shots at Mesa Arch or at 600 millimeters zoomed in. And, you know, it's funny, you look around and not many people have anything but a wide angle with them. They left everything else in the car. So anytime somebody asks me uh, on a workshop or if we're just going out shooting, hey, what lens should I bring for this particular shot? 
uh, I always suggest bring them all. You never know what you are going to see at a particular location. We were just recently in a slot canyon and people were looking at me because I was, you know, I had my, um, what did I have? My uh, 100 to 400 <laughs> with a 1.4 extender walking <laughs> through a, a slot canyon. And people were just kind of looking at me like, what in the world is that about? Like, how are you going to shoot a slot canyon? And it's probably one of my favorite images from a slot canyon came from that day shooting at 600 millimeters. And, you know, so just kind of get out of the norms and, and start expanding your vision to the unique and the creative really opens your eyes and trains your eyes to see it more often. Um, yeah, put the phone away, put the compositions that you've you know, that have taken you to that area and then just see what your eyes see. And, and I think people will, will soon see a, a, a natural progression in their work evolve. Yeah. We could also go the opposite way too, of don't overcomplicate, you know, what you see is, is sometimes the best composition that you can get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick and talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. If you go to visualwilderness.com, you're going to see tons of resources, not only a monthly subscription to get access to everything that they have on their website in terms of courses, tutorials, articles, anything like that, but they also have all of that that you can buy just one by one if you're not interested in a membership. I'm a contributor to that site and right now you can get all of my courses on visualwilderness.com for 33% off for a limited time if you use the code David33 during checkout. Again, that's David33 during checkout for 33% off for a limited time. If you go to today's show notes, you can find the links on how to get to all those things. If you go to davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash Ryan Smith. Let's get back to the episode. How would you define your photo style? So it started when I got into that gallery. The only reason I was able to get into that gallery was that my photography at the time was not natural looking. And I know that sounds funny because as photographers, we all battle, oh, I want to get more natural looking, you know, more natural and, you know, kind of away from the HDR that, that plagued everybody's style back, you know, five, six years ago. And it's it's always a challenge because the the primary focus for me when it comes to print sales is obviously to be successful at it and you know, if I'm going to be in a show, I want to produce art that's going to be purchased, you know, to, to make it worth my time, not just, you know, to stand there and show my art, but I definitely want to hang pieces into homes. And so my style, I want to keep the viewer guessing as to whether it's a painting or a photograph. Now, some photographers might cringe at that. You know, I actually cringe at that because as I evolve, I want to become more naturalistic looking. However, natural photography doesn't always translate as well as my style that I focus on currently into successful shows. So, you know, it's funny. I, I occasionally I get messages from people that are cruising through my website, looking at images from four or five years ago 
saying, I want that one. And I just cringe because for me, like it's not what I personally like. So that's the biggest dilemma is shooting how I want to shoot and what I like personally versus what I know is marketable and what will, you know, be in demand for art shows. So it's a, it's a constant battle and, you know, so far I'm, I'm doing okay at it, I think, but (laughs) does that steal your creativity sometimes though? No, because I'm never going to shoot a photo and I'm never going to edit a photo in a way that I'm not comfortable with. And so some people, you know, for example, some people are like, oh, if you go shoot this and you make it look like your style, I'll buy it. Well, for me, if I'm not interested in that subject matter, I don't care what you're going to buy. I'm not going to produce it because I'm not drawn to it. So, you know, there's a lot of photos that I get requests of that I'm, I'm not going to go take it unless I have, you know, unless I'm drawn towards that subject matter or, or, you know, uh, you know, the artistic vision for, for wanting to go shoot that photo. All right, let's switch over to workshops now and kind of address that. What, let me think about this here, how to phrase this up. (laughs) Sure. Do you have to have the right personality type to lead a quality workshop? No, I think there's pros and cons to every single personality style. That's the beauty of, of, you know, human nature is we're all so different. I'm going to connect with a different uh, workshop attendee type than someone else. You know, my workshop crowds love it because Number one, the priority is connecting with others and having fun. That's above and, uh, you know, above all else. Someone actually recently told me that they have more fun and in, in get more out of the workshops that I host than other names that shocked me and surprised me that, that are, you know, big names in the industry. And it's not that my workshops are better than those. It's just for that particular attendee, they got more out of mind, maybe because it's the personality style or maybe their priority was fun. And, you know, that other workshop was too serious because there's a lot of amazing, amazing workshop guides out there that are far superior to me and in the types of workshops that I host when it comes down to, you know, the technical aspects of photography I've, I've been out in the field and I've seen particular workshops and it looks like they're miserable because they're all competing against one another for the best shot in that workshop. And that's definitely not the environment that, that pertains to my workshop. And so, I, you know, to answer your question, you know, there's, there's good fit for photographers to attend workshops with, with personalities that they like, but also each workshop is going to have its own flavor. And for me, you know, I call them my icon family. You'll not hear me as a workshop instructor saying, these are my students. No, they're my family, you know, and, and we learn from each other. I learn from my icon family just as much as I hope that they learn from each other as well as from me. Some workshop instructors are really bothered if other people in their workshops offer advice to one another and they get very territorial. I've seen it. That's not the environment or the culture of my workshops. 
and you know, not one style or one type of workshop is better than a, than another. They're just different. So hopefully that that answers answers a little bit of what what you were looking for. For sure, with workshops kind of going on right now, one of the things that I've seen just today, and this may kind of die down once this podcast is released or listened to in the future, but with things that come up that are unexpected, um, the pandemic that may or may not be ravaging right now um, with coronavirus, we see a lot of people getting cancellations on workshops. Is that tough as a leader to manage that side of it and then also take people out and, and speak to the creative side of it? Yeah, you know, given the potential severity of each situation, it's all different, you know, and overall safety by far has to be the number one priority as a workshop leader. Your people's health and their safety and the concern for their welfare has to be top of mind priority. And, you know, it's always difficult because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I'm not just talking about the current issues that, that, are kind of plaguing everybody. But, you know, overall, there's always going to be precautions and things that, that you have to be cognizant of. And, you know, it, I don't worry so much as to cancellations or rescheduling or things like that uh, above and beyond the safety of, of our participants. And so when you make safety the critical you know, component and focus of, of whatever you're doing, I think you've got your heart in the right place. And when I talk about misinformation, you know, there's just so much misinformation and, you know, information that's not accurate, that's being spread that leads people to make decisions that, you know, might not otherwise have been made had they had factual information. And so, our goal as conference organizers, workshop leaders, is to make sure that factual information is accessible to those who are making decisions. And ultimately, regardless of what I say or what I think, I, I respect and we need to all respect the you know, attendees, conferences, workshop guests. We need to respect what, that, what is best for them because what's best for me might not be what's best for them. So even though I have a particular um, feeling about a particular situation, doesn't mean that that's what the best decision for someone else should be. So, you know, as we're all working within this industry, you know, we just need to, to number one, not panic. Number two, stick with factual information. And number three, accept and recognize that everybody has their own um, individual choice that's going to be best for them. And if we stay focused on those three items, I think we're all going to, just like we've always been, <laughs> we're, we're going to be fine. Man, that was a calculated answer. <laughs> well, I'm not that calculating. Sometimes I get uh, wordy, but I, I, you know, as you can tell, we're all, we're all in this right now. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't want to you know, say particular photographers names, but there's a lot on social media and photographers who lead workshops that, that are bringing up this topic. And so it is a topic that, you know, today that I've seen a lot of photographers talk about, but, um, you know, that's, 
that's probably why it came out a little bit uh, calculating, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could like run for office with oh, answers. Oh, like heavens, that. no, no, thank you. <laughs> you could add that to how many things you have going on right oh. now. <laughs> no, that's that's the kind of life I want to run away from, <laughs> not towards. <laughs> All right. Well, let's shift again. Let's go to print sales. Now, I've asked this question to a lot of people um, in my time as a landscape photographer, and I, I've never really gotten an answer that I really liked. So I wanted to throw it out to you. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, no, no pressure or anything like that. <laughs> but like, how do you go about selling prints today? Oh, that's wide open. Um, it's wide. It's wide open. Well, f first off is, you know, understanding why people purchase prints is the first bit of advice I give anybody who wants to pursue purchasing prints. And, you know, people want to purchase a memory. They want to purchase an aspiration somewhere where they'd like to go or just something that beautifies their home. And, you know, as a photographer, one of the biggest mistakes is thinking that people are purchasing something because we did something great. People don't put something on their wall that recognizes the photographer. They purchase something that's going to add beauty to their home. And so, you know, oftentimes photographers make it about them instead about those who are purchasing prints. And that's, you know, that that's really not, I don't know, that's not my style of doing it. I just want to purchase things that, you know, or I just want to um, capture things and print things that people like to beautify their home. Um, and, and it goes back to, it's funny, a lot of the times people think, oh, it's my story that sold that print. No, it's their story as to why they bought that print. You know, I, I, I've sold a lot of prints of Moraine Lake up in Canada. Mm -hmm. A lot of photographers have Moraine Lake. And a lot of photographers could talk about all their great stories at Moraine Lake. And I could sit there and talk to somebody about my experience at Moraine Lake, but they don't care. People want to talk about their family gatherings, the fact that they got proposed to on the dock at Moraine Lake and, you know, and that it was their honeymoon or it was their anniversary. When you start talking about and sharing about and asking questions about their story, and rather telling about your story, that's really where the power begins in, in selling prints. So that's, that's one simple aspect. And because it's so wide open, I could, I could go so many other places with that question, but uh, <laughs> maybe you could ask me another question if that doesn't suffice. What are the display techniques that you use, if any, or are you just there available and ready to discuss <laughs> everything about the photograph that pertains to the buyer. So when, when I mentor people who are doing print sales, I always say your presentation of your prints is more critical than the prints themselves. Your display, just as in general marketing, go out to the mall, the display at a Louis Vuitton store. Just picture this, a Louis Vuitton purse as displayed in a Louis Vuitton store is amazing. If you displayed that purse in a window of McDonald's, you're not going to sell many Louis Vuitton purses, even though it's Louis Vuitton. So 
where and where or where and how you display your photography is critical to success. When I first jumped into some of the shows, I made a decision. I said, I don't want any excuses whatsoever as to why or why not I was successful or not successful. So I went and I did a lot of research. I went to many shows. I, I picked out what I liked from what other people were doing. I picked out what I didn't like. And one of the things that was mind blowing to me was not the photography. It was their booth. It was their display. It was their way that they were, you know, showcasing their imagery. And any, anyone who goes above and beyond and making their display great, even if they don't have as strong images as the guy next door, the better display will always win. It's fascinating. And so for me, there's loads of photographers with much more amazing imagery than what I have. But what I think sets me apart at some of the shows that I go to is my display. And I think, uh, I, I think you know, just as photography principles apply, composition of your display is important as well. So huh. people that I mentor, I talk about how to appropriately establish a flow into your booth and out of your booth. Where is the eye drawn to? What pictures to display in the middle versus on the sides? You know, there's some pictures that I know I will never sell, but it always gets people into the booth talking to me and then they purchase other items. And so some people would say, well, why do you have that if you've never sold that image? Well, you know, it, it's a talking piece and it gets people talking about their experiences outdoors. And so there's, there's a lot to a lot to cover and I could go on probably for an hour just on that subject of composition of a display and the display itself. But I, I learned a long time ago that that's critical in determining success, not necessarily what you say or how to say it in the booth, but definitely display super important. You've piqued my interest here though. When you do have something that gets somebody into the booth, like what kind of shot, composition are you looking for to do that? So I'll give you one example. Um, typically my booth always has a picture of, um, trying to remember the falls, but it's down in Escalante. And anytime here in Utah <clears throat> that I showcase that image, people always, always come in in oh, Calf Creek Falls thing. You know, I, I knew mm -hmm. it was going to hit my brain. So yeah. I have never sold a single print of Calf Creek Falls. Never. But I have to say every show that I do and connect and, uh, you know, Calf Creek Falls is in the booth. It brings people in and they start telling about their experiences and their hike. I know where that is. I've been there, got proposed to there. Oh, we go to Escalante every year. It starts opening up the conversation that otherwise might not have brought them even into the booth. And so you know, from, from a standpoint of them as sharing their outdoors and their experiences, you know, they, they automatically in their brain take themselves out of the booth and into nature and into somewhere that they just absolutely love. And that's when the power of bringing something into their home hits them that, oh, like I would love that on my wall. And it's not typically Calf Creek Falls. It's something else in the booth. So that's just one, one example um, another example is my automotive collection. 
Um, I've got a lot of old cars, this one blue truck that, that uh, is a, a truck of a friend of mine. We took it down to an old gas station um, here in Utah. And it's one of the key pieces on my left side of the wall. And at, this one's a little different because I do sell it often. But I will say, who makes who makes the purchasing decisions typically in our families? It's it's t- typically wives and you know uh-huh. and, and women. Well, sometimes it shows, especially at art festivals, as people are kind of going down. A lot of the times, the women want to come into the booth, and the guys stay out. Well. I've noticed that sometimes it's the guys come into the booth first because of the old automotives that I have. And they start talking about their cars and their old trucks. And oh my gosh, in high school, I had this and I had that. And so even though I do sell it, I will always have that blue truck in my booth because it brings people in, makes people happy, brings the guys in that otherwise might step out. And, you know, guys that that are into cars might not be those who put art on their walls, but you know, oftentimes it, it gets them in the booth with their spouse and uh, things happen. So it's, it's kind of a psychology, uh, you know, a psychology component into the world of print sales. How much do you think about display? Let's say bringing people in or having like a multi-panel display in your booth when you are in the field actually taking the photograph? Oh, when I'm in the field taking the photographs, I don't think about that. Um, But when I do go home and I'm preparing for the next event, I will spend so much time on the display. What, What do I need to change? What what image is just not working after three or four shows? I need, I need to pull that out. Um, you know, I've got renderings like five or six different choices. Um, and you know, I've got kind of a, a a secret formula as to how I go about deciding what goes in and what goes out. Um, and, and it works and it's kind of, I, I won't steal too much because I, I share a lot of these things with people who I mentor. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of fun. And it what's really fun is seeing that it works for them as well. Um, and one, one thing what I do is I just create a lot of options and I just put it out for other people's feedback. And feedback... In photography, regardless if you're doing booths, regardless if you're doing just photos and sharing them or printing them is so critical because getting other people's perspectives on on your own work is just so valuable. So I'm a big advocate in getting a mentor, seeking mentors, seeking information from others, regardless if you're doing print sales or workshops. It's hugely, hugely um, valuable to gain other people's insights. Are you getting that feedback on social media? Uh, kind of. <laughs> when I say kind of, I use social media platforms, but not publicly. Uh-huh. I, I do it privately. Uh-huh. And I'm very, um, what would you say, strategic. I don't. so Calculated. Yeah, calculated. Again, there you go. Yeah. Politician. <laughs> um, when, when you're, I'll just be specific with print sales. I don't ask other photographers' opinions when it comes to particular photographs that I should display. Mm-hmm. So I've got a few online 
communities of people who are real estate agents, designers, um, that, that I will seek feedback from who are not photographers. And it's nothing against photographers. We all have great trained eyes, but people who know the, the, you know, the design space and real estate will give you much more critical information that's valuable than other photographers. And, and that's just because we're also built in a similar way with photography that we're not looking at the greater overall perspective. Um, and, and what I mean is designers could almost care less about the subject matter and more about the color. And, you know, photographers aren't looking at that. They're looking at like, oh man, like that's a terrible composition or why'd you put that tree right there? I wouldn't have done that. Um, you know, oh, it's a little pixelated on the bottom left-hand corner. You know, you'll, <laughs> you'll never hear that feedback from a designer or, uh, or a realtor. And you'll probably not hear that from somebody else that's purchasing work to put on their walls. Um, because again, the market that I sell to, I don't sell to many photographers. They want to shoot their own uh, photos, not purchase other people's. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. He's Ryan Smith, photographer, workshop leader, conference organizer, <laughs> medical sales specialist, print sales specialist. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate what you do and uh, excited uh, to, to tune in for more.